1: Hello, hello,
0: hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzer, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by John Jantz and we're going to explore... Rethinking the customer journey. And we're going to lay out a strategy that you can put to work for your business that you're absolutely going to love. There is solid gold inside this episode. So listen very carefully. By the way, I'm at Stelsner on Instagram. If you're new to this podcast, would you be sure to follow the show so you do not miss any of our future content? We work really hard to try to make sure we have amazing guests like John available for you every single week. By the way, Are you looking for smart solutions to grow your agency? When your agency partners with Wix, you unlock an entire digital ecosystem for creating, managing, and growing your business online so you can run your agency the way you've always wanted to. Get the full coding and design freedom to create anything your clients need, along with the tools to manage and collaborate with your team seamlessly from anywhere. And when it comes to growing your business, you can get matched with new leads every day and earn revenue share for every website you create. They'll all be backed by Wix's industry-leading security and site performance. You'll also have dedicated account managers on standby 24-7 so you can reach your goals and start setting new ones. See for yourself. Head over to wix.com slash partners and reimagine what your agency is. Can accomplish. You support this show by checking out our sponsors. And now for this week's interview with John Jantz,
1: helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by John Jantz. John is a strategist, consultant, and speaker who helps small businesses develop better marketing strategy. He's the author of Duct Tape Marketing, and his newest book is The Ultimate Marketing Engine, Five Steps to Ridiculously Consistent Growth. That's a bit of a tongue twister, John. His podcast is Duct Tape Marketing. He's also got a certified marketing program. John, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, uh, Mike. That subtitle was definitely written by a marketer,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. It's the word ridiculously that like is can be a tongue twister. You know, When you say ridiculously consistent, it's like, wow, try saying that five times fast. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot of syllables in there. All right. Well, John and I are going to explore how to rethink the customer journey. John, it's been a long time since you've been on the show. As a matter of fact, it's been seven years, I think, since you've been on this show. And I know a lot has changed with you since the last time you've been on this show. So maybe bring us up to speed. What's changed for you in the last seven years?
1: Well, gosh, uh, do we have that much time, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot's changed for all of us in the last seven years and the last you know, twelve months has felt like seven years, hasn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, in a lot of ways, I'm doing very much the same thing. I've I wrote Duct Tape Marketing in 2007, and I've been practicing marketing, you know, every day since then. You know, 14, 15 years later. Obviously, we're all adjusting to the new things that get thrown at us. I don't think fundamentally what our job is has changed, but obviously it's gotten more complex. We're having to deal with things that are changing faster. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm still writing books. Uh, the Ultimate Marketing Engine is my seventh book. And my network, as you mentioned, is, is continuing to grow. And I think a lot more people are looking for opportunities to kind of do their own thing and join tribes. So we've experienced uh, growth there. I moved to Colorado. Where were you before? Well, so the only place, other place I've ever lived is Kansas City, Missouri. So for Ah, 60-ish years. So I now live in the mountains west of Boulder, Colorado. So that's probably the biggest personal change. Awesome. Well, I know it's been a long time since you've
0: been on this show and I'm with you. Like in the last seven years, so much has changed, right? We've got new social platforms that didn't exist seven years ago. We've got new rules that weren't in place years ago, right? We've got like this privacy stuff going on, but you know, there are certain things that probably have stood the test of time, right? And I would imagine, you know, when we talk about the customer journey, I'm sure that's evolved and changed a little bit, but for some people who don't really, haven't wrapped their head around why the customer journey is so important, maybe you could kind of explain, you know, what is it about the customer journey, especially as we're recording this and 2021, you know, why is it so important?
1: Well, you know what I should have answered. One of the things I meant to say probably in your last question about what's changed while we talk about all the platforms and the things that have changed, probably the thing that has changed the most, or at least the most significant to marketers is how people choose to become customers. Mm -hmm. You know, people always talk about the control has moved over to the buyer because so many of the ways in which they start and travel, even a great length of the journey to decide who they're going to do business with or become a customer of, is actually out of our control or, in many cases, out of our sight. Uh, people are making decisions about our businesses without us even knowing uh, that they are considering us. And so, This idea that we can now just think of the, or continue to think of the customer journey as this funnel where we create demand at the top and drive some small amount uh, through this uh, little bottom of the funnel, I think those days are really over because I think that, you know, given the fact that so much of it's out of our control, we have to think in terms of organizing behavior that our customers, our buyers are actually going through rather than, you know, trying to force this, this demand. So if we get the journey wrong, If we don't understand
0: the journey, what's the consequence? That's the part I really want to help everybody wrap their head around.
1: But I think the biggest consequence, a number of consequences, Uh, we attract the wrong clients, uh, first off, and uh, we don't retain them. And we certainly don't benefit from the fact that they are so thrilled uh, that they want to evangelize our businesses. We don't get the referrals. So
0: if marketers have been struggling attracting the right kind of people, it's very plausible that there might be either a lack of understanding of the customer journey or something wrong with the way that they're employing that. You you mentioned the funnel, uh, the concept of the funnel is no longer relevant anymore. And you kind of just tease that you got this hourglass. So does the, is the shape of the funnel turned into an hourglass? Is that where we're going with this? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, that's what I've been saying. And and if you think about the metaphor, the funnel does have the big top. Well, the hourglass is a funnel with a funnel turned upside down. And what my contention there is that that buy part is the part where so many marketers kind of end or think the journey ends. And I think the real opportunity is that that's where it expands or can expand because the greatest source of new leads for any business is, is happy customers. I love it. So why don't you
0: introduce us to this marketing hourglass a little more? Let's dig a little deeper into what are the pieces of it, if you will.
1: You, you bet. So um, I've already talked about this idea of behaviors and you know, a lot of the funnel terminology is, is really more about the company and what the company wants the person to do. And what I believe is that we have to organize uh, this behavior of what our buyer wants to do. So there are seven stages that kind of line up with our hourglass and they are no Like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And then our job, really, as marketers, is to help guide people through those stages because, in my mind, those are behaviors people want to participate in. If we have a problem, that we want solved. We want to know who's out there that can solve that. Once we find those people, we immediately start making snap decisions. Do I like their message? Does their website load quickly? Uh, Can I get help when I want to? And we start making decisions as we're starting to filter. And then of course, ultimately if we're starting to consider a business, can I trust them? Do other people trust them? Can they prove that they get the results that they're promising? I don't know about you, Mike, I love it if I have the opportunity to try what it's going to be like to work with a business. And that's not just the 30-day software trial. I mean, we pick up a phone and call a business. We're trying out what it's going to be like to work with them. So there are many ways which our potential buyers are trying us out.
0: Wait, I have a little story on this. Just I just got back from a podcast podcast movement conference. It was the first time I spoke on a stage since my conference happened back in 2020. And some people in the, were in the audience who had been listening to my podcast. And one person came up to me and said, I'd been thinking about coming to social media marketing world, but it wasn't until I heard you speak that I was convinced I need to come. So that person, that guy tried me out, right? Because he heard me deliver 45 minutes of value and he was sold after essentially, he he bought someone else's product that I was part of, right? But that's kind
1: of like try, is it not? Well, you know, what's funny about that, Mike, so when I talk about these stages, a lot of times people think of, well, I do this, and then I do this, they move, and then I do this process, and they move. But what you actually experienced was no, like, trust, and try Mm. uh, all at the same time. That's one of the really powerful things about getting up on stages because, well, maybe that person knew you, but they didn't know that much about you. They liked what you had to say. And then of course, they developed a trust based on what you said. And and as you said, they, uh, that was a way for them to try out what you believe or what, you know, what, what you're going to be uh, uh, selling at social media marketing world. So uh, I, I absolutely. So, okay. So, Distinguish between know, like, and trust just real quick.
0: I know we're going to zoom in on a couple of these, but just give us kind of a high level on the difference between knowing and liking and trusting just so people can wrap their mind around that. Because we've heard these three words combined a lot, but maybe we haven't really rationalized in our mind the distinction between them at a high level.
1: The distinction is subtle, but it is so important. The greatest source of of attracting non-ideal clients and customers is trying to skip these steps. So we all want to go to run the ad so somebody can know about me to get them to buy from me. And so what what that does is it gets somebody, it attracts somebody maybe who doesn't understand actually how you work, that doesn't stand the value you bring, doesn't understand why you charge a premium for what it is that you do. So those steps in between are a key part of educating, teaching people basically how to be or or what is an ideal client. So the no is a part that almost everybody can do. I run ads, I network, you know, I go and create content, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's all the kind of standard stuff. How do I get attention? The like part people may get, but they don't intentionally focus on building. So, for example, when we first go to somebody's website, how fast does it load? That is a like (laughs) because we're immediately making like is all about the snap decisions that we make. Uh, When I fill out a form, what happens? We're making judgments. Whether we're whether we're consciously saying, oh, that's two points against you or not, you know, we're constantly making those initial judgments. Does the message above the fold seem to resonate? Do I see pictures of people that are in my business or my industry or that the personas are described there of who you can help and who you add value to? Those are a lot of the initial like things. They're not terribly unlike when you beat somebody at a networking event right you know, we're making those snap decisions do I like how this person carries themselves you know are they paying attention to me when they talk I mean those kinds of things are go in the like bucket for me and the reason to think about them is, we have to realize people are making those decisions. What are we doing to make sure that they have a good experience or that that if we're talking to an ideal customer, that they get that we're talking to them? So those may be, it might be content. It might be processes. Like I said, it might be the tech that they encounter. Those are all things that I put into consideration when we're building this framework out.
0: Okay, so let's zoom in on a couple of the like stuff. We'll get to the trust stuff in a minute here. So you mentioned things like how fast does your website load and what is the message above the fold? And, you know, I know that you've been writing about this for a while. You've been teaching this for a while. What are the things that we can do as marketers that you think will have the greatest impact on someone liking the company, you know, because predominantly most of us are representing a business, right? That may not be a face. So what are some things that you recommend that we could do?
1: Well, first and foremost, at least my advice to business owners is the the first thing i should see on your website is a promise to solve my greatest problem. Now, obviously you have to know what that is. <laughs> you have to be able to articulate it and you have to know, you know, who it is that you're talking about. so many folks again while we're still in this do i even know do i even like you, you know, phase you know, We're not ready to hear about how long you've been in business and the, the great solutions that that you have and you know how big your firm is, the kinds of things that you a lot of times will see above the fold on a, on a website. What I want to hear is, do you show up when you say you're going to and do you clean up the job site? <laughs> uh, because those are the problems I can't get solved by the other people I've hired to do what it is uh, that, that you do. So we spend a great deal of time in developing strategy for this hourglass approach or for this framework around discovering the problems, the real problems that you solve for your ideal clients. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I essentially sell marketing strategy. Nobody wakes up and says, I think I'm going to go find somebody that does marketing strategy. Uh, they wake up and they say, how come when the phone rings, the, the you know they're always want a lower price? Or how come when I look at uh, Google, my top three competitors uh, show up on page one, but I don't. Now, I know for a fact that Most of that's a strategy problem to begin with. But if I can't express that I understand the problem that I can solve, they'll never connect it to my solution. That's why that's such a a crucial element of people even starting to advance or consider you as they advance on their journey.
0: So, okay, let's take you as an example. You said you're a marketing strategist. So what is it the promise that you're solving if someone was to what's the message that you would use so someone would know that you're for them?
1: Well, one of the things that we have learned, and again, I'm not trying to attract everybody. I'm trying to attract a certain type of business. And what we've learned is a lot of businesses that have actually been successful, they get clients, they get leads. So they're not so we don't need to to use a message that that really is going to attract maybe somebody that is either just getting started or is is really struggling uh, to to grow their business. We attract or att- Trying to attract folks that have a very steady, stable business, uh, but they've plateaued and they want to go to the next level. I realize at least in working with thousands of these folks over the last couple decades is that the real challenge they have is they don't think about marketing as a system. They have no marketing strategy. And so consequently, they don't really know what makes them different. They have a bit of chaos in their marketing idea of the week. And they really don't have confidence in in who to trust because everybody's telling them in many cases something different. So, our overarching message that actually gets at this idea is that marketing is a system. And so, what we actually provide is clarity, control, and confidence. And even though people don't come to us and say, I just don't have any confidence, we strike a real chord by talking about that because we help them and this is one of the beautiful things if you really crack this code of solving problems is that sometimes they don't know your best prospects don't know what the problem is they just have a feeling something's wrong and so we're able to tap into we're actually able to be the first ones to tell them here's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing now they want to listen to how we can solve that
0: fascinating So how did you come to this conclusion that they had a systems problem and a confidence problem? You didn't just guess, right? So, and there's some people out here like, well, how do I know what John knows, right? So how did you come to that conclusion?
1: Ironically, there is a bit of guess in it or trial and error is probably a better, (laughs) better way to say that. So you start trying to articulate this. You start looking for the problems. We interview clients all the time. Uh, Today we have the beautiful gift of Google reviews now that just kind of, gives us reams and reams, if you're collecting reviews, you're going to be able to see reams and reams of the problems that you're solving because people turn to those review sites and talk about what they've not gotten somewhere else. And so if we're mining some of those places, if we're looking at the responses in the emails that come in from customers, if we are physically sitting down with customers once a quarter and, and asking a series of questions about what they get from us that they don't get from others, what they can't get from anybody. And you just keep paying attention and then you keep testing these messages. I tell you the first time I was on a stage and I kind of started using this idea as marketing is a system. In fact, it's the most important system in any business. And I immediately could see <laughs> the light bulbs going on in people's eyes that they were you know and they came up and said to me why hasn't anybody else said that to us everybody else tries to make marketing such a mystery and you're saying we just have to think about it the way we think about other systems in our business so some of it is is uh, trial and error but but obviously uh, you don't get there unless you're you're a paying attention and and mining for this information and then B testing it out constantly
0: uh short little story we interviewed we surveyed 500 of our customers specifically around social strategy. And we asked three different questions. Number one is what's your biggest struggle when it comes to developing your social strategy? Then we asked them what stopped you from improving your social strategy? And the last question was, if your social strategy could be where you want it to be, what could it make possible? I got to tell you, John, it was a goldmine. And we used all that data to develop the messaging for our social strategy club which we are actively in the midst of announcing and promoting literally this week as we're recording, but getting those open-ended responses and going through them and looking for the struggle and looking for the things that stopped them and then looking for what it could make possible, right? It allowed us to get that kind of messaging, John, that you got from your customers, but we got it from customers of a different product as we were developing a new product. And it turns out it's exactly the same stuff you just mentioned. They don't have time. They don't, have a trusted resource. They don't have the confidence to make smart decisions, you know, very much the same kinds of things. So this is really, really good, useful information that's absolutely essential to get people to know, to get this like thing. And really what I'm hearing you say is it's got to be signals that this is for them, right? That's really what we're talking about. They have to resonate with the message,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, immediately uh, in the snap decision, the the best result is for them to say, you're talking about me. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, and and what's in that research is probably a beautiful thing is you saw repeated themes. It wasn't just you found a couple that sounded good. You saw this a lot, didn't you?
0: Oh, we saw dozens of different ways of saying the exact same thing, which was a gold mine for our marketing, right? Because we can reuse these different kinds of words. Their their words, right? Yep. And the voice of the customer, man, is that powerful. All right, so let's assume we've got the like thing down and we're moving down the hourglass. The next thing which is trust. Yeah. Now Help us understand what's the difference between like and trust.
1: Well, like, as I said, is the snap decision. It's actually the thing that makes somebody say, "I want to know more," um, or "I want to consider actually doing business with you." You know, what? you think about how we do research. We we get a you know we get a bunch of names, and that's that's kind of the no. And then we filter some out very quickly. No, they're not talking about me. No, they're right. Oh, they're, no, they're too big, or right. I don't like the way their website looks. And then we get down to a couple, and we start thinking, okay how do I try to tell these people apart and that's really the probably the big difference is is now we might actually before where we just went to their website now we might actually google their name and see you know what else is out there about them you know what are other people say so so we're really starting in some ways we're starting to get serious but we're still not ready to get out our wallet I mean we're we're still you know doing analysis and so there are a handful of things that and I tell you depending upon the industry you're in this might be the biggest hurdle for you to clear and this is the one the most important hurdle for you to clear. I mean if you sell professional services for example and somebody's going to reveal their life and their finances to you or they're going to hire you to uh, a will for their their family or something. I mean the the trust bar is pretty high. We don't we don't just google that and find somebody on page 1 and go oh yeah that's who I'm going to hire. I mean we do some research and and really dig in and and we want to see things like who else have you helped. <laughs> Can you prove that the results that you're promising, is there any way for you to prove that? It might be things like getting a quote or filling out a form or looking deeper and, and filling out something to get a free ebook or something. I mean, those are things we want to now have the ability to, to do. And I think a lot of times we're still at this point where we want to have the ability to do them on our own. We are not necessarily ready to pick up a phone and schedule a consultation or an appointment. I think so many people today, that's become the real trend online is to try to go for that appointment right away when we haven't done enough to earn actually the trust some other things that are you know very easy for small businesses to do who else are your clients put their logos on there if that makes sense what certifications or trainings uh, have your people receive where has your content appeared online that i would see as trusted sources are other publications writing about your business third party publications writing about your business so there are many things that go in this category that are you know helping somebody realize yeah okay you are legit a lot of times, if, if if a friend has referred you, that's a great trust <laughs> signal. Uh, that's why referrals are so great. But if somebody's going out there and just finding you sort of cold and starting their research, uh, you want to make sure that you're giving them lots of things right off the bat for them to just mentally say, "Okay." I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Other people seem to like it. I see testimonials from happy clients. Those things, obviously a lot of people have abused some of those, but but those things work. Those things are elements that have to be intentional.
0: Okay, so I totally get the testimonial and I would imagine, depending on the product, a video testimonial might be even better than a written testimonial because they can kind of look at the person and see if that person's like them. Am I close? Am I right? Am I wrong? Okay, or does it doesn't matter. So
1: right there and, and, let, and let's just, riff on video for a minute. Video is a great trust signal because it allows somebody to uh, hear somebody's voice, see their sincerity, you know, read their body language Um, for good or bad. It it can be a very good trust builder.
0: Hmm. Okay. And then you mentioned free resources. So let's say ebook or guide or something like that. That seems like it's almost in the try category, but it sounds like it also could be a trust thing, right?
1: Well, here's how I look at that. Today, we probably are going to have to have a lot of trust or make a decision that we want to try this company if we're going to download and actually consume the 45 page ebook. But what we tend to do is push the quick checklist, the list of resources, something that somebody can actually check out really easily and they're not really making a big commitment in fact in some cases uh, I can make a case for not gating that type of content so it's I, I really am going to trust you more if you're just gonna give me free stuff I don't even have to give you an email address that's the type of you know trust exchange that that might exist but if somebody's going to go to the try and download something now they might download a calculator that the addresses their problem, or they might, as I said, the deeper, they might attend a webinar where they're going to give an hour of their time or something. Those definitely move into the try category. And that's the thing about these stages. The lines between them are pretty subtle as well. I mean, something for the right type of business might go and try, whereas for another type of business, it might go and trust.
0: Do you feel like if you had a YouTube video, right, and you embedded it on your website, I don't remember if it shows the view count. But I would imagine if you went to the YouTube channel and you saw that I had a video that was watched a hundred thousand times, that might actually be a bit of trust because obviously it's not just like five views. I don't know. I mean, is there something there? Is that some form of uh, well,
1: There's no question. Social proof is yeah. it's one of the boxes. <laughs> you know, it's not for everybody, not for every type of business, but there's no question. If I'm trying to decide, I mean, it's just one of those things. A lot of times what works in trust or what adds to trust is when I'm considering one or two or three different people, you know, or, or companies that I might be hiring, then all of these things come into play. It's just like, okay, that's another stack in your favor. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's there's definitely, you look at Google reviews. I mean, how many times have you done a little search and the Google conveniently shows you three businesses in your town and one of them has two reviews, one of them has none, and one of them has 128? probably going to at least start with the one that has 128.
0: So for the business people listening that don't have that local business presence where they wouldn't be able to have reviews, if they could just choose one or two things that would be important trust signals to put up on their website, what would be the minimum required that you feel like would be a strong trust signal? Cause you mentioned a whole bunch of stuff and I'm just curious, like what's the bare essentials of must do?
1: Well, I always start with testimonials and they just have a lot of power you know even if people think oh yeah you're just showing the people that are really happy well <laughs> fortunately you've got happy people so i always start there another one that can get into try but some in some industries case studies are are certainly a trust
0: yeah i like that
1: you know frankly showing personas you know here are the three industries we work in or you know here are the three types of people we can help or here are three of our actual customers uh, that got great results uh, those That can actually be a trust signal, too, because it's it's not only trust, it's kind of a qualifier. It's like, oh, you do help people like me. So it kind of covers both of those.
0: Well, and I would imagine if you're selling something really expensive and you're talking to a salesperson or you've had someone fill out a form, you could offer a few customers that they could talk to, which could be that super trust signal. Am I right?
1: Yeah, there's no question. You could offer people to talk to or you could actually have, and this one goes into refer as much as it does trust, but I've done some things where, where really happy customers will put together four or five prospects with that really happy customer and, and especially it works well if they're in the same industry. Yeah. We'll really just kind of facilitate a discussion about a problem that maybe they, they all share and how this one uh, customer solved that problem. Uh, so there's no selling that goes on at all, but it, uh, it can be a really potent way to bring people together and, you know, you, you sort of benefit from the, the fact that uh, they're networking. Okay. uh, I want to just spend a second talking about
0: try, and then I definitely want to get into refer. So we've talked about what no is, we've talked about what like is, and we've talked about what trust is. And if you think of the hourglass, it's getting narrower, right? And we're hitting this try section in my mind, obviously if it's software, it's easy. You could have a trial, right? If it's info product, you could like, we have a $1 trial for 10 days. I would imagine that's like a trial also, right? What other try stuff could help someone go from prospect to customer?
1: Well, sure. So I have a, a book coming out, uh, this book we're talking about today in September. So very, very common thing for authors to do is you can go there to the website right now and get two free chapters. Ah, you want to go ahead and plant that website? Just say it real quick. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's just com. So that's a really standard common thing. It's like have a sample. Yeah of it. Uh, I love that. You, you think about the, any of your Costco uh, fans out there, you know, Costco has uh, companies pay uh, Costco uh, display folks to actually share their samples. I suppose they're not doing that right now, but to share samples of, of food and things as people walk around the store. I mean, those are really common tries. I think that people can relate to because we've all experienced them. A consultation, it's a try. I'm a lot of times in in the consultant world, I like that. Allowing somebody to actually go through a session of training or, you know, a free coaching session in evaluation where you could actually say, for us, for example, a lot of people want us to look at their website and give them a free evaluation or maybe even a low cost evaluation. It doesn't always have to be free. As a way, a webinar I think is uh, for many people is a try or can be a try. I know a lot of people sell from those as well.
0: Yeah, or even public speaking could be a try if you're a consultant, right? Like a lot of a lot of consultants do that, right? It's at events, right?
1: It's become very common now for uh, folks to create. Maybe they have a paid program like you have paid programs, Mike, but then they have a free. Facebook group or something that is going to bring like-minded people together to experience some of the benefits of the paid program, for example, is another uh, another great uh, try. Those are try offers, if you will. I don't want to miss the whole idea that a lot of times people are trying us without our knowledge. Mm. So for me, a great missed opportunity for so many people is you, we've all done this. You go to the website and you fill out a form for information and you hit send and you're not really sure where it goes or maybe a little line up there comes up there and says success Uh, (laughs) that's a great great place to actually redirect somebody some people sell like a really low cost product after that redirection or they sell not sell, but offer, hey, if you were interested in that content, here's four more pieces of content that you know relate to that, you wanna get that now. So picking up a phone and calling your business, how the phone is answered is part of the try process because let's face it, if I'm calling to ask a question or get a quote or schedule an appointment, I'm checking you out. I'm experiencing your business and making a decision about maybe about whether or not I want to actually go through or, or, or come back to. So the try thing is not always just or really all these stages are not simply to say, OK, what could we offer here? It's where do we have gaps in how people experience our business as well?
0: And, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, but some of the coolest things that I've seen is after I fill out a form, there's a little video that says, here's what to expect that kind of goes back to the trust part of it, right? Because all of a sudden I see the person, maybe the CEO of the company explaining, Hey, we got your stuff and uh, here's what's going to happen next, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would imagine if you're, especially if you're selling a complex service, you know, Hey, we might be out on call right now installing one of your neighbor's pools, but here's how this is going to go down. You know, I mean, I would imagine that'd be pretty valuable, wouldn't it?
1: You know, and, and of course a lot of internet marketers have been doing that forever, but a lot of what i would call more traditional businesses that are online that's a huge opportunity because you know other remodeling contractors and other lawyers and other accountants aren't doing that right. and so it really is a great way to stand out and as you said it definitely goes to trust because you're probably never going to be more engaged or at least you're very highly engaged at that moment because you took an action to get or request something and so what a great moment of truth to to actually give you a great marketing message
0: Do you feel like this try side is one of the big overlooked opportunities? Because it feels like, said another way, if we don't have a trial of our product or we don't have a trial in the way that you mentioned trial, are we leaving money on the table? Do you understand what I'm asking?
1: Yeah, I tell you what it is, is a great differentiator. You know, I think that one of the things that I, I was reading some research recently and one of the. marketing changes that has come out of the the last crazy year is that sales cycles have actually gotten much longer, Mm. particularly for complex sales and kind of the typical customer journey. I mean, people's habits have just been blown up. (laughs) And so nobody knows how to do anything right now. So, you know, even my daughter was signing her kids up for uh, a summer camp and she was like, you know, we couldn't even figure out how to get it done (laughs) Uh, because nobody has re-looked at all of the stages, all of the steps in their processes and realize that we've gotta over-communicate here. We've gotta tell people things that, you know, maybe we didn't have to tell them two years ago. And so that's why I think this idea of rethinking and we taking right now, this moment in time, to relook at every way, shape, and form in which a, a prospect or a customer experiences your business, including your online properties, um, is very, very important right now.
0: Okay, we've hit the midpoint of the funnel which is buy, and then we've got repeat. And I think Mm. that's pretty intuitive, which is trying to sell them existing, you know, more other products. But I would love to zoom in on refer. Explain that because I know, I think if I'm not mistaken, you wrote a whole book on this, didn't you? Or did you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wrote a book called The Referral Engine in 2009. And, you know, I spent, first and foremost, I spent about half of that book writing uh, that the secret to uh, getting more referrals is to be more referable. Mm. And that's, you know, a lot of times people just want, what's the hack? (laughs) But the, the hack is people have to actually like doing business with you. So we've hopefully come, we've built this entire marketing hourglass uh, to the point where you do have happy customers here because you've, you've created such an intentional experience for them now. I did this research again recently. I've done it almost every year since 2009. 81% of the small businesses that I surveyed said that 50%, over 50% actually is what they said, of their business, new business, came by way of referral or word of mouth. Uh, And yet the follow-up question was, what do you do about it? And it's about 27% that do anything (laughs) about intentionally generating referrals.
0: Oh, wow. I hear you. So what I'm hearing you say is like, hey, Most people that are in the business of selling anything, it's someone else who recommended that's a big chunk of their business, but they know it, but they don't do anything about it is really what I'm hearing you say,
1: right? Yeah. I call it the curse of the accidental referral. And there are a variety of reasons, but it, it to me, it's the most puzzling. If we know, and the, the, and the beauty of a referred client too, is there's all kinds of research that suggests they're less price sensitive, they're more loyal, and they also tend to refer other people as well. I mean, there's just so many reasons to really stimulate that part of your business. And for whatever reason, people really struggle with this.
0: So yeah, what do we do about it?
1: First and foremost, you have to figure out uh, who you're trying to generate referrals from? There are three groups that I tell people to focus on. Yes, your entire client or customer base is a potential referral source. However, for whatever reason, you know there are some percentage of them that that will never make a referral. But referrals happen quite often because you ask them to refer, or because somebody they know ask them if they know anybody. And so wh- part of the key with your entire uh, client base is you have to stay you have to do things to stay top of mind and ask for referrals uh, frequently. So, you know, simple things like a quarterly mailing to your entire client base that that offers a free, you know, coupon or something to, you know, that they can physically give to a neighbor and if they do, you know, they get something. I mean, the something simple as simple as that.
0: I've seen this before, right? And I've seen this even with software products too, right? Like if you refer someone, they get something and you get something. Now that's really interesting, right? Hmm.
1: Well, I tell you the beauty of it is that it takes away from, I'm referring this to you, Mike, because I get something. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, no, it's, it's, you know, it's in both of our interests <laughs> now. And so I think that that changes the uh, the motivation a bit.
0: Huh. So how might that look? I mean, I know you've probably thought this through, like, how might that look? I mean, I can understand how a software product would be very easy because maybe you're on a monthly service and you get a discount on your next month service and they get a discount on their first month service. But how would it work beyond those kinds of products, you know?
1: Well, if if you think about it, any type of business we uh, years ago had an electrician electrical company and they would whenever anytime their service people would go into a home so this is a b2b environment they'd go into a home do the work get ready to pay the bill and (laughs) they would actually give the uh, the homeowner three coupons and said if you'll or actually we did them as postcards they did them as postcards and they said if you'll fill out the actual address today on this and send it to three friends. It was like a 10% off coupon and send it to three friends. I'm prepared to give you a hundred dollars off of your bill right now. Oh, this is almost like, Hey, I'm doing your backyard.
0: If I can put a sign in your front yard, right. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give you a discount. Right. Um, right. Cause then the neighbors will see it. Right. That's interesting. Yep. Okay.
1: And then we had an accounting firm that would once a quarter send out a $100 gift certificate and for taxes, you know, done. And, uh, they, you know, because of, again, theoretically, the person was coming back to them next year. If they would give this coupon away and if, and they were coded or something, and if any of these coupons came back uh, with a new client is what it amounted to, then that person got X amount off of, of their return the, the coming year. So sometimes just doing tangible things like that to make it easy for people to share about you is is one of the ways to to really just kind of have on a low level with your entire client base. Now, the second group, and this is where the a lot of opportunity is, is your what I call champion clients. These are the people that are already talking about you on social media. <laughs> They're already referring you. They come back and you love them. They love you. Maybe it's a small percentage. Maybe it's 10% of your, of your customers, but you need to make a club <laughs> of some sort ah. for them. You need to find ways to bring them together, to give them something nobody else gets to create opportunities, events maybe, just for them. Because one of the things we know is that people that are already wired to refer <laughs> are much easier to motivate to really ramp that up. Sometimes if somebody's never made a referral, you know that group's gonna be harder to get any action out of. But the ones that are already doing it, if you've shown the spotlight, if you'd shine a spotlight on them, you can find that you might get two and three times the amount of referrals out of those folks. And really, bringing your clients together is absolutely a brilliant marketing tactic no matter what it uh, returns because uh, it, you know if you're in a b2b situation that it's a networking event now they're gonna talk about ways that you've helped them they're going to talk about you know other things that you do for them that you may not do for the other person so there's a lot of benefits to creating this kind of champion client uh, approach
0: I love this concept of making a club I guess you know you're gonna know who your best clients are because they're probably the ones that are responding to your emails all the time and giving you feedback right and they're probably the ones that maybe your sales team just absolutely loves working with and they love working with you. So have you seen any interesting practical, do you have any stories off the top of your head of how that might work for any, from any of your clients? Just because I, I find it absolutely fascinating and I'm thinking through it like, you know, But I'm, but I'm wondering if there's any particular story of anyone that you've seen that is kind of interesting what they're doing or even you
1: you know the biggest thing that i've seen a lot of people do is you know in in programs like in membership programs and things to actually extend to you know me- maybe members at at the highest level or something a few extra vip passes or Bring a friend, you know, to sessions and things of that nature. Uh, so, you okay. know, they're really giving them an extra benefit. Obviously, it's, it's a bit self-serving because they're going to expose uh, other potential clients. It's self-serving,
0: but, but valuable nonetheless, right? Because they're getting access to something that is exclusive, right?
1: That's right. That's right.
0: A lot of people's wheels are spinning right now, so this is very cool. Is there anything else that on the referral side of things that other than giving both? the person who refers someone to you and the referrer, I don't refer you, refer something versus your champion clients. Any other little tips that you have there on the referral side of things?
1: So the last piece, and this is a great, great opportunity. Some of the most potent opportunities for generating referrals are going to come from potential strategic partners. Hmm. So these are non-competing businesses that also have your same ideal client in mind. And so I actually teach people to create a formal process where they can recruit and, and find ways to work with strategic partners, do events together, refer each other, maybe even do co-marketing together as a way to you know really expose yourself. I mean the right strategic partner might have 500 people that could refer to you where a, you know a typical client might have two or three. Do you have any examples of that? So a great co-marketing one that we did years ago was it was a HVAC contractor and a, an electrical contractor and a plumber. And basically what they did is when their technicians went in, they would you know uh, settle up the bill and then they would uh, promote each other's businesses. So they would say, hey, here's 10% off if you need plumbing or 10% off if you need any work on your air conditioner. These are great uh, trusted strategic partners of ours. They were getting three times the exposure for, for every call.
0: Yeah. And I think about, you know, I go to the gym, I work on a private little gym and there are people in the gym that sell similar kinds of services that are like nutritionists and stuff like that. And I could imagine they could partner with someone who's a nutritionist and they could refer their clients are careful about the food that they eat to the personal trainer. Right. And the personal trainer could say, Hey, I'm helping you with the exercise. If you want to get the diet stuff, here's my recommendation. Right. And that kind of stuff I would imagine can kind of work all over the place. Right.
1: It definitely can, and if you think about it, you know you're you're actually making yourself more valuable to your client by actually being able to bring to them, you know, trusted best of class uh, people. Because if if they need those services anyway, and and that you already have a relationship with them, they're going to really value the fact that you're able to help them in other areas.
0: John, this has been solid gold. If people want to find your book, your new book, The Ultimate Marketing Engine, or they want to find more about you, where do you want to send them?
1: So, uh, you mentioned it already. The ultimate marketing engine.com is where you can find everything about the, uh, the book. Uh, I have actually a companion course you can get right away if you're still in pre-order prior to the book coming out. Um, and if you want to find out just what I've been doing for the last couple of decades, it's just duct tape marketing.com and that's D U C T T A P E marketing.com.
0: The gray stuff. Do you have a preferred social channel if people want to hit you up on the socials?
1: Yeah, so so uh, probably LinkedIn. And it's just, I'm just Duct Tape Marketing there. I'm Duct Tape on Twitter and then I'm Duct Tape Marketing also on Facebook.
0: John Jantz, thank you so much for answering my millions of questions. It was absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I always appreciate your support, Mike. And uh, you're obviously your, your awesome show and the, the empire that you've built there. Thank you, John.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 474. If you're new to this show, would you follow us? If you're a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? By the way, you notice what I just did there? I asked for the referral. (laughs) I'm at Stelzner on Instagram if you want to put something out on the social channels, but we would love it. I would love it if you would let your friends know about this show. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world in a good way. See you soon.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
0: If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.